My name is Jake McLean, and you're listening to the Life, Leadership, and Laughs podcast. Hey there, friends. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I am joined live and in person uh, by one of the coolest students ever, Emma Hildebrand. Emma, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jake. How are you today? Good. Uh, I told Emma about 13 minutes ago that we were going live uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's how we'll do it. We'll just do it live. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Sounds good. It's the first mini-sode I'm ever doing for the podcast and the first time uh, that I have a student on the podcast. So, congrats. I'm honored. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, to in today's mini-sode uh, topic, uh, in these mini-sodes, we'll focus on different skills and things uh, that I believe and I hope most of my Stockdale fellows believe uh, that a leader should have. And so, for today's topic... We're going to be talking about dialogue, thinking gray, uh, different uh, different things that are really relevant in our political climate, in things like that. And so, uh, Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So before we uh, really get started, just so our listeners have some context as to who you are, because not everybody who listens will obviously be at Monmouth College. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yep, I am a junior political science major here at Monmouth College. Um, Very interested in politics, very interested in uh, getting young people involved in civic life and educating students on how to form quality dialogue regarding politics and other uh, controversial and touchy topics that generally come up in today's society. So uh, Emma and I have been looking at Stephen Sample's book, The Contrarian's Guide uh, to Leadership. And Emma, what you don't know, I don't know that I told you this already, but I took, uh, so I'm a product of the environment, right, at Monmouth College that you are currently experiencing. And so part of that uh, involved my last INTG class with uh, Ken McMillan, Civic Leadership. And the Contrarian's Guide to Leadership was the uh, central textbook that we used for the class. And so uh, in the first chapter of the book, the author talks about this concept of thinking gray uh, and thinking free. And uh, Emma, why don't you give us kind of an overview of what you have now learned thinking gray to mean to you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think definitely in uh, Stephen Sample's book, he touches on the fact that we are kind of trained throughout life to think in a very binary fashion. We we know that there is a right and there is a wrong. And there are generally, you know, two modes of thought that we go through in life. And I think that Stephen Sample's challenge to readers is to try to get out of those that, that two lane road try to get you know outside of the box and think gray if you will and so he really um, attributes thinking gray to independence and once you you get out of those ruts you can think for yourself you can think in ways that others haven't dared to think you can really branch out and experience new things and really uh, hit innovation hard Um, He also talks about thinking free, which is similar to thinking gray, but pushes the boundaries even more. And he he definitely thinks that thinking free will allow you to be creative in ways that you never have been before. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we think about the concept of thinking gray, 
you know, uh, some of the, I think the primary kind of folder that we put different things as we're taking in information, and he even describes this in the book, it's either good or bad. It's either right or wrong. It's good or evil. Uh, these uh, kind of binary, uh, the false dichotomies of it all. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we forget that there could be both. And so when we think about having effective dialogue and things like that, uh, one of the things Emma just went through with me and the Stockdale Fellows is I asked the Stockdale Fellows to consider how their personal values uh, show up in their relationships. And so we do a values-based activity where we uh, identify those top five, those top three values, and uh, really talk about how uh, they show up. And so, Emma, if you can remember back to that activity, uh, what were uh, the three values that came up for you? My three values were communication, trust, and gratitude, all of which I find pretty central to forming quality relationships. Absolutely. And so when you think about those, how do those show up for you in your relationships? Um, communication for me is one of the the bases of all of my relationships. Um, I think that if you have a good communication with another individual, that allows you to grow the relationship in great quality ways. Um, as far as trust goes, I think that it's important for me, especially in my relationships, to make sure that the people that I am friends with, that I have in family relationship with or romantic relationships with, to know that I am someone that they can trust, that they can come to with anything. I think trust is very uh, foundational. Um, gratitude is something that I personally strive to bring into relationships because I am a very um, quick person. I am high stress, high anxiety all the time, and I like to move, move, move. And sometimes when I am with other individuals, it really takes a lot for me to stop and live in the moment and be appreciative of who I'm with and what they bring to my life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that we had some uh, folks, if I'm not mistaken, that picked uh, values that are central to their uh, their core, obviously, as themselves. Um, but do you feel like any of yours came from like your family or other people who are important to you in your life? Absolutely. Communication for sure has been something that has been drilled into my mind since I could walk. My dad has always been very, very uh, promotional of great communication skills and being able to relate to individuals through communication. He he really thinks that every problem that we face in this world can be solved with a simple conversation. And so that has definitely been passed on to me and something that I value very closely. Yeah, that's great, Emma. You know, we think about uh, our values and especially the ones that are taught to us at an early age and, as you said, drilled into our heads, right? And some of them aren't as uh, friendly as communication, and sometimes uh, then, then that's the frame of mind that we use when we take in information. And so when we're thinking about where we stand on certain issues as information is coming in, we're almost uh, immediately and intuitively, without really thinking about it, just putting it in a folder. We don't mm-hmm. uh, challenge it. We don't hold it. We don't suspend it. And so I think that one of the, uh, one of the things that I really value about the skill of thinking gray, as uh, Stephen Sample writes, is, you know, he also notes that uh, it was, uh, ooh, you'll have to remind me, like F. Scott Fitzgerald, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Uh, So F. Scott Fitzgerald said that 
the sign of a great mind is being able to hold two truths, uh, two opposing truths in your head and still be able to function. And I think that uh, when we uh, start talking particularly about politics, about uh, about race, about uh, a number of uh, very polarizing issues in today's uh, climate, we have already entered the conversation with our folder of what is right and what is wrong. And so uh, we, we sometimes stop to consider that some people have different truths than we do. And so, so what do we do about that? I think that's a big part of what Stephen Sample is getting at with thinking gray. I think that he recognizes that we all come to every single scenario in life with preconceived ideas and things like you say that are already in our folders. And so he challenges us really to try as we as hard as we might to go into things with a clean slate and to challenge ourselves to see both both ideas, both sides of every argument and to think gray. Think in ways that have not been thought before. And so I think that is a challenge to all of us um, as far as coming into these these difficult climates, uh, political climates, um, is to erase the slate and really try to think gray, think free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, for my own, um, my own leadership journey, right? Uh, I was very much like this. Uh, my uh, values, my experiences, everything shaped how I uh, saw the saw the world. And it's this window. And sometimes if it's not in the frame of my window, I'm, I'm missing something. And so it really didn't occur to me that that was the case uh, until uh, somebody pushed back on me. Uh, and, well, have you looked at it from this perspective? And, you know, I think that when we, especially when we're fired up about certain things, and we're heading into uh, conflict episodes in particular uh, for these polarizing things. When something is testing our our frame of reference, our values, our beliefs, we uh, almost get our brains hijacked, uh, and the response is almost immediately emotional. And so uh, what I have found effective in dealing with this in your and, and in strengthening your ability to think gray and uh, to be able to hold multiple uh, truths, uh, though opposing they might be, is really to, to breathe, to acknowledge mm-hmm. that uh, something has been said, uh, and then to respond, uh, but, but waiting to do so. So as an extroverted feeler, I uh, struggle with this a lot, right? And so... Uh, if I have thoughts and emotions about something, you're going to hear them and you're going to know them. Uh, and for me, it's almost like you have to develop the filter of uh, what's coming in and what's coming out. How do I know that this is true? How do I know that this is a problem? How do I how do I know? And sometimes we don't have all that all that information. And one of the things that uh, Sample writes about is uh, the the media and their uh, their influence and how we can draw conclusions easier. Oh well, it it was on uh, this news channel that this happened. Uh, I can uh, vividly remember my 
uh, grandmother. Like the funny example, non-political, right? Doctor Oz, uh, who I don't even I, I don't even know, right? Uh, and my grandma has certainly never seen him in person. Uh, shared that uh, you can only have so many milligrams of salt and uh, a day, and I obviously probably have way more than that. And so uh, she called me and said. Uh, what are you doing? How's your blood pressure? Here's what Dr. Oz said today. And, you know, uh, Grandma, I'm not even sure he's a doctor, <laughs> you know. And so um, it's how are we, uh, at what stages are we challenging the information that we're taking in? But maybe we hold that information as true until something else comes up. But are we actually looking for that something else? Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Um, So something that I have been challenged to do as a political science student is to try to really grab as many pieces of information about a certain subject as I can before I form my own opinion. And being in a very sometimes hostile environment, um, very a debate-oriented environment in classrooms of political science, um, I have seen individuals who you know, have opinions formed that you can tell are very incomplete. That when they do try to debate, they're, they're kind of like, well, this is just what I think. And that that's the end of their argument. And so I definitely challenged myself in the beginning and kind of told myself, you know, I don't want to be that person. I want to have this information. I want to be able to f- form quality um, arguments. And so in that way, I challenged myself to you know, talk to as many people as I can to hear their perspectives because every single person like we have been talking about comes into each situation with a different set of experiences and different folders containing, you know, different opinions and different uh, ways and ways that they believe in things. And so that's kind of where I think that diversity of conversation comes into play and making sure that you aren't surrounded by the same exact people with the same exact thoughts all the time because, you know, that challenges us in forming opinions. I mean, how do we form opinions based on the same exact information all the time? Hmm. So you know, different conversations with different people is a huge growing experience. And so I, I definitely use that as a tool um, dealing with politics in making sure that I'm not forming an opinion based only on my, my realities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do we bring people to some kind of common ground, some sort of middle space? Like you talked about, it's really difficult nowadays because so many people bring emotion into political issues. And when a controversial topic, you know, really strikes that match inside of you and really lights your fire, if you will, it does create an emotional environment, something that isn't, it's no longer a quality conversation, it's personal. And so bringing people to that conversation to that table really requires the right environment. And so that's something that I am working really hard to facilitate is having a safe environment where people know that they can speak their mind, but they can also know that they have to be respectful of one another. And that's something that I think is difficult today in today's climate. If you follow politics at all or the news, you'll see that our politicians aren't great examples of being respectful towards one another. And so, I mean, it's difficult for us to see that and, you know, it it reflects on us and in our conversations. So, I mean, the right environment, um, being open-minded, you know, you have to push yourself to be open-minded. And I know it's hard to think that you might be wrong sometimes, but 
it's true. You know, we don't have all the answers. No one does. And so in order to get those answers, it requires just a little bit of teamwork. Yeah. Teamwork, uh, after all, it does make... It the, makes the dream it work. It makes the dream work. That's right. <laughs> and so, you know, one of the things that uh, I preach as the, uh, the leadership guy, right, is that uh, if you're going to do this, uh, if you're going to try to bring people to the middle, uh, if you want to try to have... Honestly, it's really any kind of conversation. It doesn't have to be a political one. It doesn't have to be anything like mm-hmm. uh, that's supposed to be polarizing. But um, I think that it takes a certain level of awareness of each participant in a conversation to be mindful and almost empathetic to mm-hmm. uh, be able to uh, see when uh, words are affecting somebody in some sort of way. And then to stop and do some sort of process check uh, into, you know, I noticed that when I said this, uh, you know, uh, you rolled your eyes, you sighed, you, you know, you look frustrated. Mm -hmm. You know, do you mind explaining kind of, you know, what did I say? Uh, And things like that. And then that helps the, I mean, it's like the standard communication model that anybody would learn Mm -hmm. in a communication 101 class. You got to get feedback from some of the things that you're saying. But I think that sometimes we take it immediately personal. And there are other authors on leadership and conflict and uh, different things like that uh, that talk about uh, our need uh, to uh, kind of negotiate these uh, these relationships. And uh, what I find uh, most troubling is that uh, everybody has issues with negotiating the relationship. Nobody is willing to articulate this is uh, how I feel. This is why I feel. Uh, and uh, sometimes that can be difficult, especially for somebody you don't have trust with. Uh, if you uh, don't have that connection to, but if you are then going to turn around and start uh, publicly disrespecting somebody uh, or even privately disrespecting them, but you haven't given them the, the chance to... Uh, explain to talk more about it uh, then you've made you've made the issue a personal one you've started uh, critiquing the person and not the idea and so this whole idea of thinking mm-hmm. gray um, I mean it affects every aspect of a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. absolutely and um, I know from personal experience you know one of the main things that kind of set me on the path of trying to think gray was having a conversation and someone straight up told me, you know, what experience do you have in this? How do you know anything about this? You know, and it was an eye opener for me. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't have any personal experience in this. I, I'm just forming an opinion about something that I myself have never experienced. And that was an eye opener for me. And that was one of those things that made me realize, you know, crap, I, I need to talk to people about their experiences. I need to understand why they feel the way they do. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but for me, you know, politics has always been something personal because it's a really deep interest. It's something I've always been interested in. And so a challenge for me at Monmouth College has been to detach myself from the issues and to realize that, yes, I I strongly hold these values and I strongly believe in this one political side, but it's not who I am. Politics are not a personality trait. And that is something that people get confused often, that, you know, this belief is who I am. Mm -hmm. And it can be part of your values, but it's not who you are. You know, you are so much more than a political issue. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, one of the 
I guess, final thoughts from me, and I'll throw it to you before uh, we do this outro of this. Um, If you're going to engage in a conversation with somebody, I think that, or with a group of people, I think that what we need to start doing is articulating what the goals of the conversation are. If we know that we're going to go have a debate and uh, there has to be a clear winner and a clear loser, uh, then nothing is uh, going to be happening about that. And so if that's your goal, like somebody's going to leave frustrated. Probably both parties are going to leave a little bit (laughs) frustrated. You know what I mean? But if you're looking for generative dialogue, something that you can take away and uh, you want to take something away from the conversation, learn about the other person, uh, and just build a relationship based out of respect, then I think a couple of things have to happen. The first one is you have to be willing to walk into that conversation, not completely ignoring all of your previous experiences, uh, the values that you hold, or anything like that. But you have to be willing to uh, just hang it up, like mm-hmm. you're hanging up a coat uh, coming in after a cold winter day. And we've certainly had a lot of those. <laughs> You have to be able to um, to suspend judgment, to suspend your own thoughts and emotions from pouring into something that you're talking about. Like when you are hearing something that's going to upset you or you know that it's uh, particularly triggering, um, but you don't understand quite why they've said it or uh, where they're going with it, that's when I – it's like the process-oriented conversation of – hey, can you stop for a minute? I just need to ask you about this. And then open up that door so that it's it's an ongoing conversation. Yeah, you get back to the main points eventually, but it requires going down a little bit of a rabbit hole from time to time. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to do that on every sentence. And God, I hope that you don't. Um, but the other part of that is that you have to be willing to listen. Mm-hmm. And uh, the willingness to listen, to understand, uh, not to respond so many times I think that uh, any uh, leader, any level of leader, uh, if they're calling themselves one, focuses so hard and we reward those who uh, try to be right rather than the folks that try to get it right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if we can move more towards having conversations like this, uh, we can reduce some of this uh, hostility, some of the tension. Mm-hmm. You're right. And um, I think that a big part of politics today is dehumanization. We, you know, we belittle a person so much and all they are to us is a conflicting political view. And, you know, oh, they're conservative or they're liberal, so I don't like them. You know, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to talk with them. It's pointless. And, you know, I think we forget that they're human beings. They have a whole different set of experiences than you. And so their beliefs are based on different things. And so it's really important for us to remember that, that they're just another person. And why they think the things they think is based on a whole nother set of experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's our jobs, I feel, to learn and understand those experiences so that we aren't so dehumanizing and that we don't forget, you know, why we're bringing these conversations to the table in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. There's this, uh, a great, uh, like beer commercial uh, <laughs> that uh, actually does a very good job of highlighting 
uh, what it looks like when we have conversations uh, with people, uh, even if they have completely different uh, political views uh, or even just different views Mm -hmm. uh, than us. And so I'm going to have to put that in the show notes. (laughs) Uh, But Emma, I think that uh, I've taken enough of your time. uh, And so I thank you again for uh, coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jake. And listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, Remember that you can follow the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, We've got a great episode with John Stebbin coming up on Monday. Uh, In the meantime, you can subscribe to our mail list at www.jakespeaks.org. Or you can just follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram at MC Leadership Guy. Until next time, take care. (laughs) 